The Disney movie Aladdin uh, tells the story of a poor outcast boy who comes across a lamp and is granted three wishes. When Aladdin first rubs the lamp, uh, the genie, through a humorous song, uh, explains to the boy, you've never had a friend like me. It was Aladdin's lucky day because now he had a powerful friend who could do anything. It's a staggering concept if we will let the idea sink into our hearts. You've never had a friend like God. You can be friends with God. You can be friends with the one who created all things, has all knowledge, and has all power. You can be friends with the one who can change the course of events. But what must we do to become friends of God? What is the key so that we can have this exciting relationship with God? Who wants to be friends with us? Hello, friends, and welcome to the Iron Sharpens Iron Bible Study Podcast. This week, we're going to be studying James chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 10. And we're just going to jump in right here and start in verse 7. It says, Therefore, submit to God. To find grace and to return to being friends with God, we need to yield to God's wisdom. We need to stop thinking that we can live our lives our way. We must do all things that God says. We cannot, we cannot reject his words. We cannot oppose God or resist him. It is far too easy to come across a command we don't like and either ignore God's command or go to another church that just won't preach on that. We must put our lives under God's control. We must arrange our lives to be under God's direction. We will yield to God's commands even when the commands are difficult or uncomfortable. We'll listen to the wisdom of God and avoid the filth and sinfulness of the world. Submission is what James's statement looks like. In verse 6, James states, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The proud will not bend to the will of God. Only when we see ourselves with humble eyes will we be willing to listen and follow God. Our first step is a decision to follow God. Let's read on here in verse 7. It says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Stop opposing God and start opposing the devil. Submitting to God is to resist the devil. To submit to the devil is to resist God. We have to fight the devil. We have to withstand him, oppose him. We are to put up active resistance to the devil and his influence. Would you describe your life as an active resistance of the devil? I hope so, because that, that, that's what it means to be friends with God. Our encouragement is to fight. Stop giving in to the devil. Stop letting him drag you into sin by enticing you with the, the desires within you. There are two promises to observe uh, from this text. First, it is possible to resist the devil. I know it often doesn't feel like it. Our desires and passions flare up within us and it seems impossible to do anything but commit sin uh, to quiet those passions. But we are not bystanders who cannot do anything about these temptations. This is a hopeful statement from James. We can resist the devil. This isn't a hopeful, hopeless fight. How often we feel that we cannot be victorious in this fight. How often we think that we we have sins that we will never be able to overcome, but you can resist the devil. You can fight against drunkenness and alcoholism. You can fight against sexual immorality and lusts. You can fight against pride. You can fight against anger and outbursts of wrath. You can fight against your tongue. 
You can fight against selfishness. You know, don't don't give up. Oppose the devil. Withstand him. Fight him. And the second promise is just as valuable and encouraging. You can resist the devil, and when you do, he will run from you. Resist the devil, and he will leave you alone for a time. We see the example of this truth in the life of uh, Jesus. Jesus resisted repeated temptations until finally the devil left him alone uh, until a more opportune time. James says that this is true for us. It is not that we will experience one temptation, and if we fight, uh, if we fight it, we won't have any more temptations that day. The point is that we can win the fight. We can fight and we can win. We do not have to give in and we can overcome these temptations. Not only can you fight against drunkenness, sexual immorality, pride, anger, the tongue, selfishness, and other things like that, but you, you can win the battle. You can become strong in the areas where you are currently weak. Your weaknesses do not, they don't have to be a lifelong battle. You can resist and win so that the devil will flee from you. As James wrote about it in the third chapter, you can gain mastery and discipline over your life, but you have to fight and resist. Your hope is that you can win and will win if you will oppose the devil. Let's read on here in verse 8. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is the same call that God has made throughout history to his people who have turned away from him, uh, becoming friends with the world. Zechariah 1 and verse 3 says, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. When we make mistakes and fall back into sin, it, it's not too late to come back to God. God doesn't shut us out, never to let us back into a relationship with him. James offers us another precious promise. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Come to God and God will be there. Seek after God and you will find him. Even if you have destroyed your life, God will come to you if you will come to him. This is the practical teaching of an observation we make in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. The son destroys his life and wild living. The father doesn't go after him and drag him back home, but he is waiting outside the house each day, hoping that his child will return. You must come to him. God will not fix your problems for you. God will not make you be his. But when you humble yourself, Submit to him and draw near to him. God is waiting for you and draws near to you. Our father opens his arms and brings us back into a, a covenant relationship as his child. Uh, verse 8 continues to say, Cleanse your hearts, or cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Coming to God requires radical repentance. Too often coming to God is pictured as merely saying, I want to follow God. But that, that's not a commitment. That is not entering a covenant with God. That is nothing more than telling you know a boy or a girl that you like them. That, that's great and all, but it really doesn't mean anything and is certainly not a commitment. Cleanse your hands is a common picture in the scriptures. Sometimes we, we read of lifting holy hands. The symbolism is that we are showing God that our, our hands are clean. 
think of it in the way that we check the hands of our, our, our children. Clean hands equals clean actions. Lifting holy hands to God means that we are saying to God that our behavior is clean. Our hands are not doing sinful things. Our hands are not active in wickedness. We've removed everything in our lives that are not single-minded to God. Live your lives in purity. We cannot draw near to God while dragging our hands in the, the dirt and filth. Let God cleanse you and hold hold up holy hands, showing that you are no longer putting your hands in the trash of this world. We have to keep our lives pure. Um, purify your hearts also teaches us that God demands more than just clean actions. God, God also wants a clean heart. The heart represents our motives and intentions. It is hypocrisy to try to only clean our actions but not clean our hearts. God sees both. We're drawing near to God with sincere hearts that truly desire God's will. Uh, the psalmist described uh, this process in Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. We cannot continue living the way we're living and think that we are coming near to God. James drives out our hypocrisy by calling us double-minded. He spoke of the problem of our double-minded attitude in James 1 and verse 8. When we are trying to pursue God and pursue our passions and desires, we are the double-minded person that James is addressing. Stop being fake. Pursue God with full devotion. Let's read on here in verse 9. It says, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James is telling us, be devastated by sin. In our desire for a pure heart and clean uh, hands, we will have sorrow when we don't live up to that standard. We need to be crushed by sin. Sin causes grief in those who are friends of God. You know, we mourn at sin, whether we are caught or not. We will not treat uh, sin casually. We will stop ignoring the gravity of our sinfulness before the Almighty God. We have a choice. We can laugh. At our sins now and mourn later when we stand before God in judgment, or we can mourn at our sins now and rejoice in God's grace on the day of judgment. Let's read on here in verse 10. It says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. James returns to the need for humility, just as he pointed out in verse 6. Humble yourselves. God doesn't teach us to, to humiliate others. We must humble ourselves. Humble yourselves before the Lord. This is an important truth. We need to see ourselves as before the Lord. You are living 
your life before the Lord. We need to live our life like we're in the presence of God. Stop comparing yourself to others. This is when we lose our humility. When we compare our lives to other people, we start thinking fairly highly of ourselves, don't we? We like those comparisons. But this is not how James tells us to humble ourselves. Humble yourselves before God. Compare yourself to God and see how far short we fall before God's absolute standard. James gives us a, a, a fourth promise. Humble yourselves before God and he will exalt you. What does it mean that God is going to exalt you? It doesn't mean that God is going to cause people to pay pay homage to you. This is not teaching that if you will honor God, God will make you uh, your boss or make your boss honor you or your spouse honor you or your friends uh, praise you. What exalting does God give to his children? Well, God has promised to redeem your life, to deliver you from sin to heal your soul, to forgive your sins, and save you from the wrath to come. But the exalting will come in eternity when we receive the full inheritance of the Father. We will be exalted in God's eternal kingdom and receive all the blessings of being his children. Uh, Paul Paul touches this, uh, he touches on this th throughout his letter to the Ephesians. Um, but in conclusion of this lesson, you know, we're, we're given four great promises. Uh, the first being, you can resist the devil and his temptation. You do not have to sin. Uh, number two, the, the devil will run from you when you resist him. You can win those battles with Christ as your help. Uh, number three, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God will not reject you when you humbly come to him. And our fourth and final point for this lesson, humble yourself and God will exalt you. Exaltation from God and the riches of God are far greater than the exaltation from people and the riches of this world. As always, I'm so glad you're here. I, I hope you're learning uh, as we study through the book of James and, and growing in your relationship with Christ. Um, as always, like, share, and subscribe, and until next week, God bless.